to work in and of itself is a miracle. Last night I was uh, with my wife. We were going to put a card, a small camera card, into a little thinger. Everything electronic is a thinger for me. And I, I, I couldn't get it in there just right, and so she came along and she patiently puts a thing in there, and it, then it shows the pictures clearly on our computer that we had on the card. I was reminded of it today during worship. And uh, two things came to mind. One is uh, the church. That would be you. That you might be the Lynn that needs to help someone see Jesus Christ more clearly. See the truth more clearly. And you're going to do that by love. That's the way you can do it. Um, so my word of encouragement to you as a church, be, be willing and be available to uh, be that person that helps someone see Christ more clearly. The other is I saw the card laying there on the table, and maybe someone here has thought about, you know, I, I don't know that I want to see him clearly. I've, I've got, I, I got enough of Jesus. I'm, you know, I don't want to... If I plug that thing in there, and I know how to plug it in there, then I might have to make some commitment. I mean, the song was, was perfect today. It talks about surrendering at the cross, um, that we're afraid to give our life to the Lord because of what he might do, a gracious and compassionate God. The plug-in part has to do with the truth. If you're wondering, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. That's, that's the thing. There's, not a lot of, there's nothing else out there that can lead you to the truth but the Word of God. I just pray, Lord God, for your will to be done today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and worship you. And, Lord, I just thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray, have your way today. Let truth be magnified, Lord God. Let your life be received more and more and more. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help me to speak it clearly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If I have a theme today, it's called the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's many trials and tests in life. We live in a fallen world. And when I look at the tragedies in this life, the human sex trade, the brutal wars that bring young people to their graves in their 20s, famine, disease, breakup of marriages and families, fatal accidents, I say to myself, I don't like this world. We get trapped in our pain and our circumstances. Unforgiveness, offense. If you live long enough, not only will you be wounded, but you'll be wounded deeply. How can I get relief from this pain? and this injustice. People struggle with finances, the lack of finances. Some people go through foreclosure, bankruptcy. Some people have rebellious children or children with special needs. There's disease and there's death. We allow these circumstances to define us. 
If you have a rebellious child, you say, I'm a parent who has failed. I'm a failure. If you lose a spouse through death, you could become bitter. When you have financial failure, you say, I'm a financial failure. That's all I am. We let the circumstances define who we are. And we get stuck in the tunnel and only see the darkness and circumstances of life. I believe God wants to help us when we're in the tunnel. Everybody has gifts. Gifts that we can use to bless others. While we're in the darkness of life. Some people say, I don't know what my gift is. I believe that if we do the word of God, you may not know what your gifts are, but as you do the word, God will direct you in the gifts that he has given you. There's no way that 25 years ago that it wasn't even on my radar that I would be up doing this. It's not something I planned. Just as I walked with the Lord and as I did his word, this is where I am today. But that holds true for you too. If you don't know what your gifts are, do the word. The problem is that in our trials, we are tempted to withdraw instead of bless. To indulge in self-pity. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Somebody that's been in my life for a number of years, I, I would say that he's, this person has not been a happy camper. This not joyful, didn't see peace this person. But recently I've seen this person really starting to blossom. I see joy. I see peace. And I believe it's he's doing what God has called him to do. James 5.17 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The Message Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. What this message is saying, what this scripture is saying is go out and do something. So often when we are having problems, we want people to pray for us. I believe the scripture is saying is if you've got a problem physically or spiritually, you go pray for somebody else. It's more blessed to give than receive. I was reminded of the scripture in 1 Peter 3 where it says, Husbands, treat your wives as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers are not hindered. It says, Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, walking in humility, being kind, not, in trading, not trading evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead because you are called for this very purpose, to inherit a blessing. The Living Translation says, if you bless, God will bless you. 
I remember a number of years ago, um, 25 years ago, there was a man in this community who many people know. He was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And he was telling me that in this group of six people who had, this, who had the same cancer, he was the only one that survived. But this is interesting. He belongs to a mainline denomination where you don't have elders or deacons. You have a pastor, and then you probably have chair people of committees. But he was reading in James where it says, Is anyone amongst you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you. It, this scripture jumped out to him. And he said, you know what? We don't have elders and we don't have deacons in our church, but I'm going to go this Sunday morning and I'm going to ask for the pastors and the leaders of the church to pray for me. Those people that prayed for him may have not known the Lord. I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is he went, he saw the word, and he went and he did something. He obeyed the word. As I said, out of six people in his group, he's the only one that's still living today. And he'll attribute that to that scripture. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it gets brighter when we do the word and we do the gifts that God has given us. Go love your enemy. See if God will bless you. Continue to love your rebellious child. Pay your tithes. Oh, people struggle with that. You know, Jesus said, you cannot serve mammon, money, and me. You know, either his word is true or it is not true. I've had discussions with people who struggle financially. They say, well, that's not a New Testament concept. I said, well, Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 23, and Hebrews 7 says the same thing. You know, we'll rationalize what we want to rationalize. We'll believe what we want to believe. But either the word is true or it's not. If, if the Bible says, test me in this, we'll try it. But so often, because we're full of delusion, we won't do the word of God. And we remain in the tunnel of darkness. There's three things that basically motivate us. Feelings. Think about it. When somebody insults you, what do you, how do you respond? Do you respond with the word of God or your feelings? When you're having trials, what are you allowing to motivate you? The second one is circumstances. What's motivating each of us? Is it our circumstances? The third thing that should be motivating us and influencing our life is the Word of God. Feelings are fickle. They'll change from hour to hour, day by day. Circumstances may be prolonged, but they'll change. And you'll have other circumstances that come into your life. But what is the same? Yesterday, today, and forever. It's the Word of God. When you're in eternity, what is it that's going to be, have influenced your life? Your feelings, your circumstances, or the Word of God? The praise was so beautiful this morning because those scriptures are right on. He will never fail us. What is our hope built on? 
Some people continue to deal with the same temptations over and over and over. And I think a lot of times it's because we haven't done the Word of God in those circumstances. As long as we live, we will always have temptations. But I got news for you. You should be going to the next level and the bigger devil. But God equips you in every level. But so often we're dealing with the same circumstances, the same temptations, because we haven't been obedient to the Lord. Doing the word gets us through sooner. In Hebrews 13, 18, the writer says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. When you pray, if God's asking you to pray about something, when you, he's asking you to do the word in something, you get through the tunnel faster. It comes sooner, the light. Israel, they were disobedient. They didn't trust God. For that matter, they didn't know God. So what happened? They're in the wilderness 40 years. That was not God's intention for them. Doing the word. Operating in your gifts will get you through the tunnel faster. There are the promises of God. There are specific promises to you, and there's general promises to you and me. A number of years ago, when I was very new in the Lord, and my wife also, um, we lived in New Ulm, and there's this organization called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Group. It's an international organization, and there was a new chapter that was established in New Ulm. And they would have speakers once a month, and one of the first meetings that occurred had a couple from Mankato. They were a husband and wife team, and they were speaking about marriage. And that was really relevant to me in particular and my wife because we were going through a very rocky time in our marriage and we were actually starting to come out of it a little bit. But I thought, you know, this would be something good for Jerry and I to go to. So um, we're listening to them talking about the word and marriage. And then after they were done, they invited anybody who wanted prayer to come up and to be prayed for. And I thought, that's a good idea. And I wanted to go up there, and Jerry's a little hesitant. But she did go up there with me. And this couple started praying for us. And I don't remember if it was a husband or wife, prayed a prayer verbatim that I had prayed several years before when I was crying on my bed that the Lord, I was praying specific prayers that the Lord would restore our marriage. And this person begins to repeat it verbatim and then tells, what's, tells us what's going to happen. It's the prophetic. And I thought that was pretty cool because I didn't tell anybody about that prayer. And then another phenomena occurred. Um, we haven't seen it that much lately, but it's going under the power of the Holy Spirit um, where people fall backwards. And now I'm new to this stuff and I didn't see it before Jerry and I went up there. Uh, 
a biblical example is when, when the uh, uh, Roman uh, soldiers, uh, the temple guards, and Judas went to get Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, who are you looking for? He says, we're, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And when he said that, they drew back and fell to the ground. The significance is that the power of God was coming and did come and blew them back in a sense. So after they get done praying for us, Jerry and I fall backwards. Now, we're new to this stuff. I'm a school psychologist. She's an RN. I think that we've got it pretty much together at that time. I found out later that as I grow older, I don't have it together, but I thought I did at that particular time. So we're both laying on the floor, and I have never experienced the peace before or after that I experienced at that time and at that moment. And I found out later from Jerry, it was the same thing. Now, here's the phenomenal thing. I was laying with my head down, and I couldn't get my head off the floor. I was not anxious. I was not fearful. I had tremendous peace, a peace I've never experienced since then. It's like God saying, I'll tell you when you can get up. My hand is on you right now. I want you to receive what has been prayed for you. I want you to understand it and know it. Several years later, we go through a dark time in our life where my wife has a brain tumor, which requires one surgery, and then an aneurysm, which is a kind of a bubble in the main artery in her brain. And actually, there was a woman who was diagnosed the same time that she was. They were going to kind of delay the operation on Jerry on that particular operation. But the woman who had the same thing died. And so they called her in right away because they didn't want that to happen to her. And there are only three surgeons in the world that would even attempt to do that surgery, where you place a metal ring around the artery, deep in the brain. So while we're going through that, God's grace is definitely on us. But I never was fearful. I was never anxious. And the reason was because what happened three years ago at that full gospel businessmen's meeting, they had prayed something and told us something was going to happen that had not transpired yet. So I knew that we were going to get through that dark time in our life. That's a prophetic, specific promise. Then there are general promises that we all can go to. In Romans 5.5, 5, it says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen to this. Hope does not disappoint. It's a promise. In the Message Bible, it says, in alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. It's a promise of God that as we hope, it'll not disappoint. When we come together like this, or when you meet with the Lord by yourself, do we have an expectancy, an anticipation that the Lord's going to speak to us? It's an element of faith. If we stop hoping, the game is over. And we won't get to the end of the tunnel where the light is. 
In the Message Bible, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation, getting to the light at the end of the tunnel. Faith, trust steadfastly, hope unceasingly, don't swerve, love extravagantly. Hopelessness is a dead end, and the enemy knows it. If he can steal hope from you, it's a dead end. The Message Bible in Romans 4.19, it says, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence, his own weakness, and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body will, could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's dec decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he has said. Hope does not disappoint. God wants you to keep hoping. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. In a commonly talked about scripture, especially when you're going through difficult times, is Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now, to love God, it, there are conditions. Jesus says this in John 14.21. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Does that mean I never screw up, never sin? Of course not. It's what I do with it. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. Go back to the Word. If you sin, confess it and get on. Begin and continue to trust in Jesus Christ and do what He's asking you to do. So all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's for your good, but for his purposes. The Message Bible says this, and that's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God takes failures, successes, sins, doing right, joys, sadness, our past, our weaknesses, every detail, and works them into something good according to his purpose. For about 10 years, I went through what I felt was injustice. Now, if you live long enough, you will experience injustice. And I had my struggles. I had all the emotions. But I would go to godly people. I would go to the pastors. I'd go to friends who I meet with on a regular basis, and I'd say, do I have the right attitude here? Is there something wrong with me? And of course, I'd go to my godly wife and find out, do I have the right attitude during this time? Sometimes I wouldn't, but I would land with the right attitude. 
And many of the things that I have spoken about on Sunday morning are revelations that Jesus Christ has given to me during this 10-year period of struggle. But there's something that he's revealed to me recently that I, I could hear about, but it wouldn't really be in my heart. And I've come to realize that love will dominate in every circumstance. Love will dominate in every situation. I do not truly believe that I would truly understand that if I had not gone through that long trial. All things work together for good to those who love God. Love dominates in every situation. To those who are called according to his purpose. In Corinthians 13.8 it says that love never fails. When we are in the darkness of the tunnel, God wants his purpose for us to be fulfilled, but not only us, others who he wants to affect through us during that time. I'm going to talk about Ruth. Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband and two sons were in Bethlehem and there was a famine in the land. And so they decided to go where there was some resources, which was Moab. And while they were there, Naomi's husband died. Her two sons married women from Moab. And one of them was Ruth. And then Naomi's two sons died. Ruth exhibited character that was really rare in Israel at that time. She worshipped the God of Israel. She was faithful to God. She was loyal to her mother-in-law. How many of you are loyal to your mother-in-law? It's a little humor there. She exhibited characteristics that God was attracted to. But not only God, a man named Boaz. Boaz was the, a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And when Naomi found out that God was blessing Israel again, she went back to Israel, tried to convince her um, daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, and almost persuaded them. But Ruth said this, For where you go, I will go. They go back to Israel, and people are excited to see Naomi. They remembered her. And they called her Naomi. And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She had let her circumstances frame who she is, a bitter woman. That did not happen to Ruth. Ruth exhibited godly characteristics. She worshipped the God of Israel. She was faithful 
She was humble. Boaz sees the character of Ruth, the beauty of her character, and pursues her. And in Israel, you redeem the land of a deceased person, and Naomi's husband's land could be redeemed by the closest relative, which was not Boaz. There was another relative there, and Boaz asked him, would you redeem this land? He says, sure. Well, okay, then you get Ruth too. He said, no, I can't do that. And Boaz was excited about that response. So Boaz redeems the land and gets Ruth also, the woman that he was attracted to her. Boaz and Ruth marry, and a child is born. His name is Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David. The sovereign purpose of God works through all the joys and tragedies of life. In this case, it was loneliness, death, famine, exile, but there was unshakable fidelity in Ruth. And God combines all of this to fulfill his sure purposes. Nothing that you and I do will block the achievement of God's divine will. It's just the question of whether or not we will be instruments of it like Ruth. Because of Ruth's fidelity, she was instrumental in the greater son, Jesus Christ, who is descendant of King David. As she was faithful in doing what God wanted her to do, God uses her as an instrument in the introduction of the Messiah into the earth. In the darkness of my tunnel, I have a choice. I can be like Naomi and let circumstances frame me, be bitter, or I can be like Ruth and say to Jesus in my circumstance, where you go, I will go. Sometimes we think that we have to be sent somewhere. The fact of the matter is we all have circumstances. Jesus is there. He is there. He's right with us. The question is, where will we go where he goes? Well, Will we obey him? Will we trust him? As Ruth was used by God in the introduction of the Messiah, and Boaz and Ruth were used as a redeemer to Naomi, because what they said to Naomi after Obed was born is, God has not left you without a redeemer today. God has not left any of us without a redeemer Today, as he used them in the introduction of the Messiah and the redemption of Naomi, God wants to use you and me in the joys and tragedies of life and the return of Christ. As an instrument or vessel of his redemption, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Paul says this in, in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day, and not only to me, but also to have loved his appearing. What he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And how as you look towards the second coming of Jesus Christ, it ought to affect your behavior. I fought the good fight. He could fight it because he's looking towards that day. 
In 2 Peter 3.12, Peter says this, in looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. The Living Bible says, and you should look forward to that day and hurry it along. You can be used by God in a sense of hurrying along the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, when the gospel has been preached as a testimony to the world, the end will come. Can you, can you understand that when we as a church are obedient to the Lord, that God uses that to facilitate the return of Jesus Christ? You can hasten the day of the Lord. Now, if you had a church that was completely rebellious, obviously it's going to be delayed, isn't it? But God's divine purpose will not be blocked. He will have his way. It's a question of whether or not you and I are going to be instruments of his redemption. When we are obedient to God, even the small things, he uses that as instruments of his redemption. Last time I spoke two weeks ago, I talked about the parable of the talents and the coins in, in uh, Luke 19. When the first servant came back, he says, look at my investment, this return that I have. And Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a very little thing. But then he says, I'm going to put you in charge of ten cities. Jesus is saying when you are obedient, it has great impact on the world. Jesus said, James says this, if you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. You can do things that invite the presence of God into your life and the life of others. Like I said earlier on, if you've been around long enough, you will have wounds and some wounds will be deep. And then you ask, how long will I suffer? Because wounds are very painful. That experience that I've had in that regard, I turned to the word. And, you know, when the apostles asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he ends that Lord's Prayer by saying, unless you forgive, your Father who is in heaven won't forgive you. There's some incentive to forgive. Because you and I will never understand the pain and the sorrow that the Father and the Son went through when, when Jesus was crucified for you and me. I thought about that, but I also thought about this. That if I don't get my act together, I'm going to be an obstacle to the eternal well-being of my children. And now that I'm a grandfather, my grandkids... There's a domino effect to your obedience or lack of obedience to Jesus Christ. Not only my family, but the people around me. And I, I do not believe that I would be standing here today if I had been disobedient when I was wounded so deeply back then. When we are going through deep trials, God wants us to 
look out, to look up, do his word. Don't look in, look out. Go bless somebody. Go pray for somebody. It's more blessed to give than receive. And you and I can be instrumental in that light coming into other people's lives by our obedience. Hastening, as the scripture says, bringing sooner the day of the Lord. Jesus' return. Peter says this, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. When he said it's finished, it's finished. Here's the word. We have the choice to be moved by our feelings, which most of us are, or our circumstances, or the word of God. When we do the word, it's finished. And we need to look to the light at the end of the tunnel. His glorious plans. His purposes. Are we going to let the word of God be the major mover in our life? As disciples of Jesus Christ, are we going to be moved by our feelings, our circumstances, or the word of God? It's finished. Living a life of loneliness, a life of fear, a life of defeat. Want to live a life of victory? I wasn't ready. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Nice to see you. My name is Nick Vujicic, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I have no arms and no legs, and I was actually born this way. And it's so funny when people see me for the first time. It's so cool. You're like, kids freak out. You know what I'm saying? Um, I tell you, this little boy came up to me, and he goes, what happened? <laughs> and I went up to him, and I go, cigarettes. And... Uh, <laughs> So I have no limbs, but I have my little chicken drumstick. And, uh...
But honestly, along the way, you might fall down like this. Ready? Right? <laughs> Hello! Right? So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. And fear comes in. You know the fear that you have as soon as you walk into the doors of your house. Maybe there's a broken home. Maybe you have doubt in your life. Maybe you don't know for sure what's going to be happening in the future and it scares you. Maybe, about, maybe you're worried about what people think of you, what people say about you. Just that fear paralyzes you. And I just want to ask you today, do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times... If I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. Does that make sense? And it's not the end until you've given up. And just the fact that you're here should persuade you that you have another chance to get back up. There's still hope. I'm not here today to tell you that I understand your pain. I don't know how it feels to be abused. I don't know how it feels to feel, quote, fat and you've got an eating disorder. I don't know how it feels to have a broken home. I don't know how it feels. I don't know how it feels to have a broken heart. I don't know how it feels to be alone. And I want you to know that I found my strength in Jesus Christ and you're going to find your strength in whatever you find it in. But I just want you to know that it's not the end. It matters how you're going to finish. Are you going to finish strong? And you will find that strength to get back up like this. stand up the victory is when I know that I can't do this on my own if God can cause a man without arms and legs to smile then God can definitely cause us to be thankful and to hang on to the hope that we have if I am here to tell just one more soul about Jesus that they may spend eternity with God no matter what God puts me through here on this earth, I know that I still can be you. I said, God, if you made me without arms and legs just for one more soul, then it's all worth it. If you're praying for a miracle, if God doesn't give you the miracle, you will be the miracle for somebody else.
said this. He said, if you don't get the miracle, you can be a miracle to somebody else. It's like I was listening to Joyce Myers this past week. She says, you know, I've asked God to help me in certain situations, and that doesn't happen, but it's amazing. He always gives me the help I need to help somebody else. Be a blessing, and God will bless you. Don't ever give up hope. There are glorious plans for you. All things work together for good. To those who love God, they're called according to his purposes. We need not respond to feelings and circumstances. We all have feelings, there are circumstances. But let's land on the word and do the word of God. You know, normally I'd ask if anybody needs prayer to come up here and I'll pray for them. You know, if you're a new Christian, you need clarification, I'll pray for you. If you don't know this living God that has taken this man and used him to touch thousands upon thousands of people, if you don't know him, the one who died on the cross, who shed his blood, took our pain and our sorrow, that we could have life forever. I'll, I'll pray for you. This man's mother, I don't know what happened. I mean, the doctors could have said, you should have an abortion, just like my daughter was told by her physician when, when uh, it was found out that she had triplets. I was talking to a woman yesterday in St. Cloud. She says the doctor would say, we need to do this test, we need that test, that test, just in case it's Down syndrome. She says, why? If God gave me this child, then there's a reason, there's a purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Don't ever give up hope. Hope does not disappoint, and God will use you as his instruments of redemption to touch other people. And you will hasten the return of the Lord. God bless you. Go be a blessing. You're dealing with fear today, anxiety. If you've got a health problem, go pray for somebody. you got depression? Go be kind to somebody. Do the word of God. And as the word says, you'll inherit a blessing. The Lord bless you. Have a great day in Jesus' name. Amen. He is the way and the truth and the life. Walk with him today. 
In Jesus' name, God bless you.